Well, welcome everyone to Fringes of the Faith, where we talk about the obscure elements of the Bible and our faith. I'm Paul Henderson, Administrative Pastor here at Capstone Church in Fort Worth, Texas, and sitting next to me is Parky Coburn, Senior Pastor of Capstone Church. Welcome back, Parky. Hey, Pastor Paul. How are you? Well, I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. Um, you know, this is kind of a weird topic that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Um, it's about something called the vampire religion. Have you ever heard that term, vampire religion? I don't think that I have. Not not that term exactly, no. Okay. Um, well, before we get into the actual religion part of it, what do you know about vampires? What do I know about vampires? Oh, my goodness. Well, let's see. They need dental work. Uh, they have some dental issues. Um, they come out at night, not in the day. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Mm-hmm. They drink blood. They what? They drink blood. They, why, do they, why do they drink blood? Well, that's a good question. That's just what <laughs> vampires do. I don't know. <laughs> well, um, I think if I remember correctly, they drink blood in order to live uh, for eternity. Oh, they drink people's lives. Yes. Yes. So, uh, in order to, uh, if you've seen the movies, you know, they start to decay and then they have to go out yeah. and, and drink blood and, and yeah. that's what brings them back and heals them. And, and then they're able to live, mm. uh, for all of eternity, as long as they continue, uh, with that blood diet. Right. Yeah, right? that's true. I th- you're right. I think that what's what it is. Did you know that there are people out there who have actually been diagnosed with a condition called vampirism? My goodness. Uh, I know. I can't wait for you to tell me what that means. Well, the actual medical term for it is Renfield syndrome. And according to some in the psychological field of medicine, there have been about 50,000 documented cases of Renfield's syndrome identified since 1892. Do you know what Renfield syndrome is? No, I do not. It is the obsession with drinking blood. Oh. These okay. are people that are obsessed with, with drinking blood. And and did you know that there is an actual form of religion? Uh, there's, a, there's a religion out there that, that appears to also be obsessed with blood. Really? Yeah, and that's why in the beginning we talked about it's the vampire or you could say it's the vampire religion mm-hmm. uh, because they teach that the blood is the only way to live, uh, to have eternal life um, and to uh, get into what they call paradise. Oh, yeah. Now this is becoming clear. Yes. <laughs> mm. Clear as blood. Yeah. Clear as blood. Man. And there is a ton of information on this blood religion. They even have this huge collection of books that they use to, to really enforce this idea of blood and blood covenants and, and just these, these things that deal with blood. As a matter of fact, I picked up one of these books uh, recently and, and I read a statement from you. Want to hear it? Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. All right. It says this, quote, whoever drinks my blood will live forever, end quote. Uh, that wasn't Bram Stoker or anybody like that. No. Who, who was that? Well, it's what? interesting who actually said that. There's a man that walked this earth 2,000 years ago, and his name was Jesus. Wow. 
That's a really weird statement. To yeah, it, it is. It's kind of macabre. Yeah, um, it's gory. Uh, it kind of sounds crazy. Yeah. And so if you haven't guessed it by now, we are actually talking about the Judeo-Christian faith. Mm. Uh, because if you've read this book of Blood Covenants, you will understand that both Jews and Christians seem to have this fascination about blood. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, all across the, the spectrum. Uh, and even today, even today, uh, to, both religions still uh, put a high premium on blood. So let's talk about why they have this weird obsession. Okay. With blood, can we? Yeah, let's do it. Because uh, I think it's very interesting. Um, and I think that if, if we don't understand uh, the concept and, and the symbol, uh, symbolism, uh, symbolism, how about mm-hmm. that word? No, that's good. The symbolism. I like making up uh, new words. That's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> you and George Bush. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's talk about it because we're first introduced to this concept of blood in what's called the Pentateuch. Mm-hmm. And the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Torah, the Jewish Bible, but it's also the first five books in the Christian Bible right. as well. Mm-hmm. And so in Genesis chapter three, we are told about uh, Adam and Eve. All right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Everybody out there probably has heard of Adam and Eve. The Hebrew name Adam mm-hmm. actually means red, like blood. Yes. It also means it also refers to man, like mankind. Mm-hmm. And and I think you taught this, uh, you know, a couple of a couple of weeks ago, if not last week, that the actual Hebrew word for blood is. Dom. Dom. Mm-hmm. So when we see the name Adam, we can point to a man of blood, according to hermeneutics, which is the study of the interpretation of the Bible. Right? Yeah. Does that sound right? Yes. Okay. So we know from the Bible, both the Pentateuch and our Old Testament and in the Christian Bible, that Adam and Eve met up with this, this uh, very sinister individual, the serpent. Right. Who convinced them to eat the forbidden fruit. Right. Now, do you ever wonder why that forbidden fruit has always been portrayed as an apple, like in, in artistic works and, in, yeah. you know, in literature, it's always seems to be referred to an apple. Well, I'd like to talk about that in a minute, but let's talk about when they ate of this fruit of the forbidden tree. When they did that, they both realized that, oh my gosh, I don't have any clothes on. Mm-hmm. I, I'm naked. And so what they did is they made some coverings with fig leaves. They and, and what that means is they attempted to cover their own nakedness. Right. With fig it, leaves. Yeah, isn't that amazing that the first revelation that came to man through, you know, this great step of of wisdom that he was supposed to have taken by eating this fruit as sold by the serpent was it uh, actually a, a revelation of insecurity? I don't have any clothes on. Oh, that just blew me away. That is, that is so good. Uh, the first revelation, the first knowledge that they obtained was, Ooh, uh, I'm naked. Yeah. It's a shame. Yeah, exactly. It was a, it was a revelation of, of insecurity, Mm -hmm. uh, of lack. And so they attempted to cover their own nakedness, uh, which was causing them this shame. And really this is, this is equivalent with realizing that they had sinned and therefore they were trying to cover their sin with fig leaves. Mm-hmm. Right. Does that yeah. sound about right? Right. And so when God confronted them about their sin, they continued to try to cover it with excuses. And that's when I think God uh, said, okay, 
we're not going to have any more of this. Then he pronounced his judgment on them and described what the lives of humans would be like from, from that point on. And it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, the Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife. He clothed them. Mm-hmm. He clothed them. Yeah. What does, uh, what does that tell us, Pastor Parkey? Well, what that tells us is, you know, in spite of sin, there's, there's a great amount of mercy there. But, but another thing that, that that tells us is that something had to give its life. Blood had to have been shed for them to be covered. Mm-hmm. I mean, an animal, animals had to be killed for there to be skins provided for them to be clothed in. Yeah, and then after he does this, he, he has a conversation. Um, he has this conversation. He says that since Adam has become, since Adam has become, since the man of blood has become like God in knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life, eat, and then live forever. So apparently... Uh, he, he could no longer eat from the tree of life. He could no longer eat from the fruit of the tree of life, uh, which means he now he was a mortal man. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And so, uh, bear with me here because I'm gonna, I'm going to walk through something, and I want to get your your uh, ideas or your your opinion about this. So the word dom means blood in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we know that Hebrew has many different meanings. But it also refers to the juice of a grape. Mm-hmm. And we see this reference all throughout Scripture when we're talking about treading the great wine press, mm-hmm. about the blood, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Now, even though it doesn't specifically say that Eve took fruit from a grapevine, it just says she took the fruit. So we don't, we don't really know what kind of fruit or tree it comes from. So I don't know where this idea of an apple came in. It's... I haven't read that in the Bible, but it's interesting that when the Bible talks about Jesus as being the first fruit and for his believers to abide in him as a vine and that God, the father is the true vine dresser, all alluding to the grapevine, we begin to see this potential picture here developed that maybe the tree of life was some kind of grape producing vine and the juice or blood of those grapes provided that eternal life in the garden of perfection in the garden of Eden. Okay. You hanging with me? Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Cause I'm going somewhere with this. So here's the other interesting thing that if the blood of the grape produced eternal life and now Adam who represents humankind was banned from eating from the tree of life, meaning he was cut off from the blood, mm-hmm. right? That produced eternal life. So how is it that Adam and us as the human race, how are we ever going to get back to the pre-fall garden of perfection dwelling condition where we also will live eternally? Well, the only way is there has to be a connection back through the blood. Yes. Um, that w- That's the only way. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, God, to be God... Uh, and to be true to his nature, even though he's a merciful God, and we we really do see that mercy in this, even in these first this first instance of sin, we we see the mercies of God. You know, God doesn't make them sit and shiver in their sin for days at a time. Uh, he doesn't just reject them completely, and they wonder what happened to that guy that we were talking to. Um, he does come back to them in the evening. He talks to them. He covers them. But God. 
to, to be a, a pure and holy God as well, you know, he had already given a declaration about what was going to happen, you know, upon, upon sin. And so he had to be true to that. And he said that the penalty was death. Mm-hmm. Yes. Death. Okay. And so that's either the shedding of blood, okay, through a violent act, or that's the stopping of the blood in the body. And so the only way for life to come back was would be through the blood. And so when we think about all the statements that Jesus made, um, and, and we read about that in John, about the vine dresser, and about um, Jesus' blood and, and all the references made to that, isn't it? When we go back to the garden and we, and we think about the tree of life that provided eternal life through the taking of the fruit and through that blood of the fruit, that's a very prophetic picture in and of itself of the Christian faith to come. Mm-hmm. If you really think about it, I know it's deep, but if you really dig in there and you say, oh, wow, yeah, because if Jesus is the fruit mm-hmm. uh, of, of the vine and the vine dresser is the father, that alludes to Jesus being equivalent. And I don't mean to, to, to downplay this, but it's equivalent of a grape. Right. The juice of the grape. Right. It, it's a very interesting uh, parallel. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we're not saying doctrinally no. uh, that that's a, a certainty, but it, but it is a very interesting, very interesting parallel there. Uh, between the the fact of modern day communion and and the things that we do and going all the way back to the potential fruit of that tree and then what the Bible uh, you know what Jesus says about himself about being the vine and the father of the vine dresser it's all really uh, an interesting connection it is and so let's get back to Adam and Eve for a second because they attempted to cover their own sin with fig leaves but apparently fig leaves were inadequate. They were Mm -hmm. not adequate enough to cover it. So they needed something more. And then what we talked about is what God did at this point. He provided animal skins to cover their nakedness. And if you think about it, this is the first sacrifice of life Mm -hmm. that we see in the biblical story. And isn't it interesting that God made the first sacrifice of life to cover Adam and Eve's sin. Mm-hmm. And then he made the last sacrifice of life to cover our sins. Yes, it, it really is. Uh, you know, because people will say, you know, well, that's it just is, it seems so macabre. But remember what the penalty for sin is. The penalty for sin was death. Okay. And so for sin to be paid for, blood had to be shed for that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was shed in the in the form of animals and then, you know, which could only cover them, could not for, uh, cleanse them, but right. it could cover them. That's good. And Jesus, his blood not only uh, could go beyond covering into forgiveness mm-hmm. and bringing new life as well. Right. OK, so the word blood in King in the King James translation is mentioned 447 times. Mm. That's more than the word love is mentioned, which is 310 times. Mm. So blood is pretty important in this. It is. Yes, it is. In both Judaism and Christianity. So let's talk about one of the first times that the blood was used uh, as the word dom. And this is found in the story of Cain and Abel, which is in Genesis chapter 4. And here we see Cain attempting to appease God by offering a sacrifice of produce of what he was growing 
from the ground in his garden. Mm -hmm. To me, that sounds pretty familiar because it, it looks like that's what Adam and Eve did with the fig leaves. And since the fig leaves were not adequate, Cain's offering was not acceptable either. Mm. And so Abel, uh, however, he brings some of the firstborn of his flock, including the fat portions, which means Abel slaughtered some of the firstborn of his flock and offered them to the Lord, and he presented it to God. And it mm. says in verse 4 and 5 that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he didn't have regard for Cain and his offering. Yeah. That's a very interesting story. And I think, you know, scholars kind of debate why did God accept, uh, you know, Cain, uh, Abel's offering and not Cain's. And I think that's a good point. And that's definitely one of the points that's brought up. I would just say one more thing and added to that is, uh, you know, the Bible says that Cain brought some mm -hmm. and Abel brought the best. Right. And so, you know, I, I would say that plays into this too. But but the shedding of blood was the secret uh, to to the redemption uh, and getting people back into eternal life. And then, as we skip forward in time a little bit, we skip to the end of the flood, and we see another blood sacrifice that is made by Noah. And this is as soon as he is allowed to step out of the ark. Genesis 8.20 says, Noah built an altar and offered burnt offerings of every kind of clean animal. And you know what the Lord's response to this was? This was the very first covenant between God and humankind was after this, mm -hmm. after this sacrifice uh, to the Lord. And the Lord promised not to destroy every living creature like he did with the flood. And so then in Genesis 9, verse 4, the Lord tells Noah and his sons that they must not eat meat with its life blood in it. So that right there tells us that there's life in the blood. Right. Yeah, that it, it, later on in the Bible, of course, they go into more detail about that. Mm -hmm. But that was the first time that God began to share the fact that, that life and blood uh, were correlated. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. All right. Okay. And like you said, that goes into more detail, and we find that in the book of Leviticus. Uh, the Lord tells Moses how he wants offerings to be conducted. And, and here's the thing, and this is what I found very, very interesting about this, is that God says for the person providing the offering to lay their hands on the head of the unblemished male, the Bible calls it a bull, uh, selected from the flock as the offering. And in doing this, the offerer transfers their guilt to the sacrifice as atonement, and then the animal is slaughtered before the Lord. Because like you said, it requires life. It mm. requires a life. Yes. Bloodshed right. is required. And so the animal has taken the place of the human offender and receives the punishment of death in order to appease the Lord and have his wrath turned away. Hmm. And that, uh, it's another prophetic picture, I think, if you think about mm -hmm. it. Yeah, it is. And uh, all of these things were types and symbols that were pointing ahead. They were not only necessary to be able to have a relationship with God at that time because of man's condition, but they were also prophetic. Right. And so then as you continue reading about the, the way that God wanted the offerings made, we see that all throughout Leviticus, blood being used like everywhere, all mm, over the place, like yes. sprinkling on the altar, throwing on the altar, fingers being dipped in, in the blood and putting blood on earlobes and toes of the priests. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it just looks kind of weird. Yeah. You know, if you don't 
understand uh, the penalty for sin, and if you don't understand the purity of God. See, purity is such a lost thing to us because there's nothing in this world we can look at that's absolutely pure. Nothing. The only thing that we can know that is absolutely pure is God. And so living in a world that is absent of absolute purity other than him, we we lose our concept of what that is. And so when you lose your concept, then your idea of of purity and holiness begins to slide down. Mm. And and guilt, your your thoughts of guilt and and what it's going to take to get things right. You know, it begins to slide to a lower level. And that's that's kind of where we are, and that's I think that's one of the reasons why we struggle with it, and then look at this thing and say, well, this is barbaric. Well, you know, sin is barbaric. Uh, you know, when we sin, the penalty is death. So, right, and I think most people, and if they had the choice to say, okay, uh, in order, and I'm talking about back then, we've got a better choice today, but back then to say, okay. Am I willing to sacrifice my life to pay the penalty of death, or am I willing to transfer my guilt onto this animal and have the animal take my place? I think most people out of self-preservation would choose the animal. Yeah, and, and the interesting thing about it was is this wasn't a choice that man made. This was a choice that God made mm-hmm. because God loved humanity, and he wanted to see them preserved and saved. And so God... To, to preserve the shedding of blood, to cover, but also to keep the life of humanity moving forward, then he came up with a substitute. Yeah, and we see that as mercy. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, that's mercy. And so let's, let's talk a little bit about vampirism and Renfield's syndrome because the Lord makes it very clear that in Judaism, they are not to eat the blood. And we see this in the Mosaic Law. In Deuteronomy 12, 16, the Lord provides his permission to slaughter and eat meat within any of their gates. But then he says, but you must not eat the blood. You are to pour it on the ground like water. So eating blood is a big, big no-no for uh, Judaism. Huge no-no, right? Yes, it is. Because that was when the concept, as you said earlier, of equating blood and life began to to really come together and began to be revealed from God. And so therefore, the blood, it wasn't so much the, well, it, you know, the flesh uh, was used for other things. The, the body itself was used for other things in Judaism. But the shedding of the blood, that was what was poured out before God that satisfied the wrath. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I think the word propitiation is used there, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So eating blood, big no-no. Uh, and I think that's a great way to segue into the New Testament or the new blood covenant. Okay. Yes. So since eating blood was a very huge issue with Judaism, it's, it was a huge no-no. You didn't do it. It was against the law. It's no wonder we read about the Jews getting very, very angry with Jesus when he says in John Chapter 6, verse four, uh, 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up the last day. As a matter of fact, many of Jesus' own disciples stopped following him that day after he said that. Yes, they did. 
you know, it was it was a strange uh, revel uh, comment or principle that was put out there by the Lord. Uh, but uh, pretty soon, uh, you know, he would expound on that, and and he did in that conversation him, himself when he said, "Hey, look, it's the Spirit that gives life. The flesh counts for nothing." Uh, the flesh is not going to bring transformation. And so, you know, uh, he he began to explain it to them, but they were still struggling with it because of everything they had been taught. Yeah, and, and, and it makes you wonder why he used that specific terminology, knowing that it would be very, very offensive to his people. Um, but like you said, he explained it uh, because we know now that he was talking about using his sacrifice as atonement for our sin and that his body would be broken, his flesh would be wounded and that his blood would be shed for the sins of the world. And he goes on to say that whoever partakes of his sacrifice, meaning whoever believes in him and that he was the only begotten son of God mm -hmm. born into this world as God's firstborn unblemished sinless male to receive the punishment on our behalf. Whoever shares in this will have eternal life. Mm -hmm. And you know, what's interesting is, is unlike Adam in the garden, we now can return to the tree of life and live eternally. And yeah. I think that's, I think that's awesome. I think that's the fulfillment of that prophetic picture we saw, uh, in the garden of, of being banned from the tree of life, mm -hmm. uh, from the fruit of that tree. And now through the blood of Jesus, we, we have. Uh, we can now come before the throne and and have that fruit and eat from the tree of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the cross has become our tree of life. Yes, it has. And you know, people still eat from the the fruit of the of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil every day as well. Mm -hmm. And and so today we still have a choice of which tree, which fruit we're going to eat from, from which tree. Yeah, and I like that. I, I like the fact that that you pointed out that the cross is now our tree of life because I don't think it's any coincidence that the fruit of the tree of life provided eternal life for Adam and Eve, as long as they were obedient. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, just like the fruit of the tree of life. we know as the cross provides eternal life for those of us who are eat of it and who are obedient. Yeah. And you know, that's so true. And another thing too, you can look at it this way as well. And you know, the apostle Paul, talked about this but look think about how powerful the shed blood of jesus is and the fact that we come to that as sinners whereas adam ate the fruit of the tree of life as a as a, a man who had not sinned mm -hmm. but we come as sinners mm -hmm. and are delivered uh from our sin through eating uh the you know through believing in jesus uh taking his life into us. And so it, it, it's so powerful that God can turn a sinner into, into someone who's forgiven. You know, when you think about, um, I was just thinking about this while you're talking about the full revelation. When you, when you talk about the, the full revelation of a will, what do you, what are we talking about when we see that the full revelation of the will? Now, now you when you're like saying revolution, you know what I'm talk, talking about? Oh, a wheel. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're from Texas. So when we say wheel, I don't know if you mean the round thing on a car <laughs> or, or, or wheel that you comes <laughs> into effect when out. someone dies. Yeah. No, 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 no. A, uh, a round circular. Okay. Yes. 
Yes, a wheel is a is an amazing thing. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because I don't remember what you were saying. So about I was the correlating revolu- the revolution yes. of the wheel with the revelation, a full revolution. Yes, all full the way back. Revelation goes all the way. All back. the way back, but fulfilled in in completeness in its revolution. And so we look at it this way: the first Adam was cursed, and he was banned from the fruit of the tree of life when he sinned. The second Adam who was sinless, was cursed and hung on a tree. He became the fruit of the tree by his blood, and those who drink of it will have eternal life. And so that's what Jesus talks about when he talks about, you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have eternal life, and I'll raise you up at the last day. Mm. And since Jesus was raised, he, uh, he was first raised by the power of resurrection under the new covenant, he becomes the first resurrection fruit for us who believe in him. And that's you know, another fulfillment of the piece of first fruits as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And we do have to remember uh, what else the Bible says in in the book of Hebrews. It says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So even though there was substitutes in the old covenant, their sin could not be covered, forgiven without that happening. And so blood is necessary, is what we are saying. It's necessary to the forgiveness and the rebirth process. And if you consider that every time, every time we take communion at church, Mm -hmm. we are partaking of Christ's body represented as a wafer, of Mm -hmm. course, but also his blood represented as wine or grape juice, and and that we, in fact, are part of this religion of blood. Mm Mm-hmm. We really are, you know, whether they call us vampires or, or whatever they want to call us. But I tell you what, we have eternal life. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you for your insight. Thank I know this is kind of a strange topic, the oh, way we looked no. at it. We looked at it from a different angle. I this think. is always fun. And, uh, you know, thank you guys out there for listening. And, you know, please leave a comment below if you're watching on YouTube or shoot us an email at info at capstone.church. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know if you have any topics you'd like for us to discuss while here on fringes of the faith well until next time as always stay in the word stay alert and be not deceived we love you guys we'll see you soon see you